Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Similar thing here with Potiphar's wife. She's made a strategic move by telling all the men in the house before Potiphar comes home. Now it's a public scandal that can't be kept quiet. And this forces Potiphar, he needs to get rid of the scandal. So Potiphar reluctantly goes forward with verse 20, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. So now Joseph, he lands in prison, And by the way, the word for prison is interesting here because, you know, it's bait ha-sohar, and it means the house of Sohar, and Sohar means round. But it's interesting, Sohar, because it comes from an Arab, it's also, there's an Arabic word that springs out, you know, Hebrew and Arabic, they have the similar roots. It comes from, in the Arabic, it's the word Sahara, you know, as in the desert. And it means, in Arabic, that means to watch, to watch. So in Genesis 41.10, the butler actually makes reference to this when he calls the prison the guard's house, which leads us to believe that this is a place where the prisoners were watched constantly by guards. Now, this prison is also referred to in uh, Genesis 40, next chapter, in verse 15, where Joseph calls it in Hebrew the word bor, which means pit. It means pit. And that's the same word that was used all in the chapter 37 when he was cast into the pit. So what this prison seems to be was some kind of a round structure, probably brick-lined, underneath the ground, some kind of round hole top probably for some light, whatever. And that's where he was. And a place where you know, prisoners weren't just free to walk around, you know, and just go out and get their daily recreation or something like that. It's a place where they were bound. They were shackled. There was a bad place. So now we don't have any record of Potiphar even trying to hear Joseph's side of the story. And even if he did, the question remains of uh, what's he going to do about the public scandal of it all now. But also the question remains, would Joseph really have tried to defend himself? Why? Because if Joseph had tried to defend himself, he would have by necessity end up blaming Potiphar's wife. And Joseph really didn't want to have any part and causing any trouble in Potiphar's home because Potiphar had enough trouble in his home. And, you know, he didn't need this. So we can't lose sight of the fact that Joseph loved Potiphar, felt a great deal of indebtedness to Potiphar. So rather than to speak a word against Potiphar's wife and cause trouble, more trouble in the house, to save himself and shame Potiphar's honor and his wife, he'd rather go to prison. So reading the words of verse 20 
of Joseph being put in prison, it's really amazing for us when we see this here. He's put in prison. I mean, we see Joseph in prison, and we think about, boy, that's something. Who's Joseph? It's astounding. <laughs> think about this. Joseph is the one who's going to save Israel. He's going to save the Jewish people from death by starvation. And so if Joseph doesn't do this, then the Jewish people are going to die. And if the Jewish people are going to die, then no Bible for the world and no Savior for the world. And that's what makes us seeing Joseph in prison here so astounding because this is the man who's going to save the people from starvation that are going to bring in the Savior of the world, bring into the world their Savior. So this means the eternal future of the world is bound up in Joseph, who's now been cast into prison. It's like seeing a sword that's hung over Joseph's head, and the sword is held there by a, a very thin thread. <laughs> and the thin thread over this severely threatened Joseph, and that hangs the eternal destiny of you and I. Okay, So Joseph did just, it was amazing to see this. Now, Joseph being falsely accused, he did exactly what the Lord Jesus did when he was falsely accused in Matthew 5.39. Matthew 5.39. Matthew 5.39 tells, he says, the Lord said, but I say unto you, you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If any man sue thee at the law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. It's exactly what the Lord Jesus said, taught, and that's what he did. That's what he did in Matthew 27, 14. The Lord Jesus, Matthew 27, 14, where we read, he answered, Pilate, he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. And that was so dramatic that Peter picks up on that and he says in 1 Peter 2, 23, 1 Peter 2, 23, but when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So Joseph is suffering wrongfully because Joseph refused to lie with Potiphar's wife. And when Joseph refused to do that, he was living godly. Joseph was living godly. And there's a promise in the Bible for those who live godly. What is it? That's it. (laughs) So congratulations, Joseph. (laughs) You got the prize. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But it's not the only promise, thank God, about suffering persecution because also there's James 1.12. James 1.12 says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he has tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now, that's a verse in James 1.12 that's really talking about tables being turned. <laughs> and thinking about tables being turned Think about when Joseph became the most powerful man under Pharaoh in Egypt and how Joseph was then working in the palace, which was right by Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife. So when Joseph was exalted, Joseph never you know, said to Potiphar's wife and Potiphar, oh, hello, folks. Well, well, well. <laughs> what a happy reunion this is. Remember me? It's Joseph, you know, the Hebrew servant. You know, he never did that. Joseph never did that. He never settled the score with Potiphar's wife and Potiphar. He just yielded to God. Joseph yielded to God. And then he fulfilled when he did that, Romans 12.9. Romans 12.9 says, Romans 12.9, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, 
but rather give place under wrath, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. In other words, the Lord said, leave that to me. So Joseph's put in prison. He found himself numbered with the transgressors. And Joseph did nothing to deserve being put in prison. And he tells the butler later on in Genesis 40, next chapter, verse 14, Genesis 40, verse 14, he said to him, but think on me when it shall be well with thee and show kindness, I pray thee unto me. Make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. For indeed... I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into this dungeon, into the dungeon. So now, where we are now in verse 20, there's an emphasis on Joseph in the prison. See, first it says Joseph was put in the prison, and then it says that the prison was a place where the prisoners were bound, and so that means that, you know, that they were shackled, and that's, we saw that before. In Psalm 105, verse 17, Psalm 105, verse 17, in verse 18, it talks about his feet, they hurt with fetters, and he was laid in iron. And all of this new prison experience was like surreal for Joseph. It was like, he, he couldn't believe what happened to him in such a short time, especially that first night in prison. We can imagine Joseph, by that time, he has some time to let it all set in, and, and we can just see him realizing that this isn't just a horrible dream. This is really happening to me. And so that's where the statement is so important at the end of verse 20, when it says, and he was there in the prison. <laughs> Why do you tell us that? We, we know he was, because it was like, he's finally, I am here in the prison, you know? <laughs> oh, Wow. You know, and it reminds me of my friend who was diagnosed with cancer, and he told me, I just can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe it. You know, a cancer diagnosis does that. I mean, there is this phase of, I can't believe this is happening to me. But then it does settle in. It really has happened. And this is what has happened to Joseph. And anyway, he, that's why it says that, and he was there in the prison. All right, it all sets in for him. He was there in the prison. And when it set in for Joseph, I'm now a prisoner in the worst prison in Egypt. And there was something else that was very difficult for Joseph in that prison. It was very hard for Joseph to be innocent and numbered with all these transgressors. Very hard. Very hard for the Lord to be innocent and numbered with transgressors when he was crucified. And so as Joseph is going into prison, or he's in prison, he could have very easily cried out the words of Psalm 22.1. Psalm 22.1. He could have cried those out. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But there is a wonderful beauty when you take the verse divisions away. Sometimes verse divisions get in our way. And you take the verse divisions away between verse 20 and 21 and just read it from the end of verse 20 to the beginning of 21 together. And it goes, and he was there in the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. See, the end of verse 20, he was there in the prison. It's so full of despair. It's such depression. But the beginning of verse 21 is, is a contrasting statement there. so full of joy and hope. And that's what makes verse 21 that one word, but it's the most important word in that verse. Because that's what makes verse 21 one of the most beautiful but in the Bible. You know, because that word but in verse 21, it speaks so much. Why? Because but in verse 21 means that it's a word of transformation, of transformation. 
He was there in the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph means that the whole prison was transformed for Joseph from a place of darkness to a place of light, from a place of sadness to a place of happiness, from a place of despair to a place of hope, from a place of you know walking around looking down to a place of looking up. Well, then we're walking, but anyway. And so we look at this passage and we think of only what it meant for Joseph. We think, oh, Joseph, we're following Joseph. Oh, there he is, Joseph in the palace. Oh, there's Joseph in the prison. Oh, no. But Joseph is not the only prisoner in that prison. And God loves all the prisoners in the prison. You know, for God so loved all the prisoners <laughs> that he gave his only begotten son in John three sixteen. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, my mother-in-law in Akron was a tremendous, she was great house cleaner and organizer. Her house was always clean and organized. And when her children or, and her nieces or nephews, and they'd move into some you know, apartment or some house and it was all trashed you know, and a mess, and she would go to help clean it. And the first thing she'd always say when she walked into the house, she'd always go, oh my. That's <laughs> the way she would do it. You know? I don't know if I can do it so well. She'd go, oh my. She, said, she had a Pennsylvania Dutch accent. You know? This place is a mess, let's say, you know. We have a lot of work to do. Let's get to work, you know. And then she'd work without stop. She was just incessant. And she would transform the place. Well, when it says in verse 20 and 21, and he was there in the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph, that meant that the Lord was with Joseph when he arrived in prison. The Lord came to prison with Joseph. And it's just like my mother-in-law, we can imagine the Lord saying to Joseph as they arrived in the prison, oh my, <laughs> this place is a mess. We get spiritually. We got a lot of work to do. Let's get to work. Come on, Joseph. We have a lot of work to do in this place to transform this prison from a place of darkness and sadness and despair and all that looking down to a place of light and happiness and looking up. And that's what happened in the prison because of the team the duo team that arrived in the prison of Joseph and the Lord. And all the prisoners in that prison, they benefited from this new team of Joseph and the Lord when they arrived. That's what happened with Paul and Silas when they arrived in prison in Acts 16.23. Acts 16.23. In Acts 16.23 it says, And when they laid many stripes upon them, Paul and Silas, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. You know, we look at a passage like that, and then we can, oh, we're, we're kind of following Paul and Silas. Oh, Paul and Silas, oh, now, oh, oh, they've been beaten, Paul and Silas. Oh, now they're in prison, okay. But they transformed that prison into a praise service. And when Paul and Silas arrived in the prison, it was a trio team that arrived there. It was Paul and Silas and the Lord. They got down there and the Lord said, oh my, <laughs> what a mess. We got a lot of work to do. So the presence of the Lord as part of the trio team with Paul and Silas, they transformed that prison. And then Paul and Silas, they sing these praises. They sing their hearts out at midnight. It's a very important statement in Acts 16.25 when it says at midnight they sing. It's the last statement. It says, and the prisoners heard them. It's a very important statement. And the prisoners heard them. Why? Because we might have thought this was only about Paul and Silas and what happened to them, but it wasn't. The prison had other prisoners in it, and God loved those prisoners too. 
So when it says at the end of Acts 16, 25, and the prisoners heard them and say, oh, so that's the reason why Paul and Silas were put in prison, so they could reach the other prisoners with the gospel message of hope, which they did, because God loved those other prisoners there. And the same was true with Chuck Colson. And he went to prison over the Nixon Watergate scandal. And he led the Bible studies in prison, and then he started an organization for prisoners when he got out. So when we find ourselves in the prison of a hospital bed, or in the prison of a cancer, or in the prison of any illness, or the prison of a horrible job, or the prison of losing a spouse, or the prison of a divorce, or the prison of Alzheimer's and loss of memory, or the prison of just where we just don't wanna be. What we should do is to turn to the Lord and say, oh my, what a mess. We've got a lot of work to do. Let's get work together here. I'm glad we're a team together. And then remember those around us that God loves them and he's sending us to do a work of transformation as well. The point is, Joseph was not alone in the prison. And there were other prisoners who benefited from the new team of Joseph and the Lord when they arrived in the prison. And the next chapter, we're gonna read about two of those notable prisoners, the butler and the baker, who were helped by the team of Joseph and the Lord. Paul and Silas, they weren't alone in the prison, other prisoners, and then we find out that there was a notable jailer in the prison in Acts 16.30, Acts 16.30, who said in Acts 16.30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The apostle John was not alone on the prison island of Patmos. And when he wrote the book of Revelation, and we can imagine how John spoke to his fellow prisoners there on that island and said, hey, let me tell you about the revelation I saw and about the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You know what? You too can have him wash you from your sins in his own blood. And John Bunyan He wasn't alone in the prison of Bedford, England, just north of London, when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress from a dream that he had one night. And we can only imagine how John Bunyan spoke to his fellow prisoners and said, hey, let me tell you about a dream I had last night about a person who became a Christian and spent his whole life on his way to heaven. You know what, boys? You too can become a Christian and start your journey to heaven as well. Now, When it says in verse 21 that the Lord was with Joseph, it's important to remember no one could see that. No one could see the Lord himself. All they were seeing was Joseph. And the people were all the time wanting to say, you know, about Joseph, there's no team. There's just Joseph. Come on. It's just Joseph. And then, so they're wanting to say, it's just you, Joseph. It's just you. You're great, Joseph. Great, Joseph. And Joseph is all the time constantly telling the people, no, I'm part of a two-man, a two-person team. Two-person team. The other person is the Lord who's not seen. So when the butler and the baker in the prison with Joseph, they didn't see a two-person team, but only saw Joseph. Joseph told them, I'm part of a two-person team. In verse eight of the next chapter, chapter 40, verse eight, Genesis 40, verse eight. They said unto him, we've dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I'll pray you. So Joseph is telling them, hey boys, I'm part of a two-person team. Tell me your dream. And my other teammate, my unseen teammate, the Lord, he's gonna interpret your dreams. And then when Joseph was in the palace, 
with Pharaoh, when Pharaoh in the palace looked at Joseph, he didn't see two persons. He didn't see two persons, a team, but he only saw Joseph. Pharaoh only saw Joseph. And Joseph told Pharaoh, no, 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 I'm part of a two-person team. In Genesis 41, verse 15, Genesis 41, 15, Genesis 41, 15 says, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I've dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it, and I have heard say of thee, the thou can understand a dream to interpret it. See, there he's going with, uh, I only see one person. And then in verse 16, following on, Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So here again, Joseph is saying, hey, I'm part of a two-person team. Tell me your dream. My other teammate, my unseen team member of the Lord, he'll interpret your dream. And Joseph was successful in getting Pharaoh to understand that Joseph was only one of the members of the two-person team when Pharaoh said in Genesis 41.38, Genesis 41.38, in Genesis 41.38 says, and Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has showed thee all this, there's none so discreet and wise as thou art. In other words, Pharaoh said, I got it, I got it. There's a two-person team here. It's you and the Lord. It's you and God. So Joseph was constantly going around telling everyone about his teammate, the Lord. And Joseph was telling everyone that his teammate was his great facilitator. And he was always setting Joseph up for success and helping Joseph all through his life. What Joseph was doing was relying on his unseen teammate, and being careful to give his teammate, the Lord, all the glory, all the credit, all the honor, and that's a pattern for us. Joseph's a pattern for us here. Just like Joseph, we should always see ourselves as part of a two-person team, where the Lord Jesus Christ is the unseen, is our unseen teammate. And just like Joseph, we should do these two things in life. First, we should also always be relying on our unseen teammate. And second, like Joseph, we should always be giving all the glory and the credit and the honor to the Lord as our facilitator in life. We never want God to see us step in front of God and take all the glory and honor with the I did it syndrome. And we never want to hear God say, what am I, chop liver? <laughs> all right, so God never said that about Joseph because Joseph was always so diligent to always give all this credit to his unseen teammate in his game of life. And just like Joseph, our motto is 1 Timothy 1.17. 1 Timothy 1.17. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And we, we should join Joseph and Moses in the same activity of how to endure these hard things. Hebrews 11.27 is the key. Hebrews 11.27, by faith, speaking of Moses, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. <laughs> how do you see someone who's invisible? <laughs> you do. For, and that's how Joseph endured in prison. Joseph endured as seeing him who is invisible. Invisible. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.